and welcome to the JNMP podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hyten and I'm joined today by Professor Henrik Setterberg um, from the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. We're going to be talking about his recent paper in the JNMP, uh, looking at selective vulnerability in neurodegeneration, specifically insights from clinical variants um, of Alzheimer's disease. So thank you very much for joining me today, Henrik. Thank you for inviting me. Most people, of course, um, most of our listeners would be familiar with Alzheimer's disease, um, perhaps less so with its clinical variants. Would you be able to sort of walk us through those a little bit? You know, what are they and what symptoms do those variants present with? Absolutely. And this is really important for the paper we are discussing now also. So uh, traditionally, Alzheimer's disease, when you see a patient in the clinic with suspected Alzheimer's disease, you will notice memory impairment, and that is the predominant symptom. The patient will complain about um, short-term memory uh, loss or impairment. And then, of course, as a clinician, you will start to suspect uh, that if this is confirmed in the test, that this can be early Alzheimer's disease that will progress to more clear dementia. Uh, But for many uh, years, it has also been noted that some people who who have other symptoms and then eventually undergo autopsy, they may look like Alzheimer's disease in their brain brain tissue, but the symptoms were different. And these diseases are called clinical variants of Alzheimer's disease. And some people will present with frontal symptoms, like loss of um, initiative, apathy, or that they behave in a manner they wouldn't behave normally, but their memory functions rather well. And other people might present with peculiar vision problems that uh, might not look at all like like uh, Alzheimer's disease. And again, the memory can be rather unaffected in those cases. And that is also another form that we now may call variant Alzheimer's disease or atypical Alzheimer's disease, but because the neuropathology is Alzheimer's disease. So it sounds like despite the symptoms being slightly different or or vastly different in some cases, these clinical variants all share an underlying neuropathology. They all look, pathologically speaking, like Alzheimer's disease. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. And then that that is sort of the, the, if you, then you can look into the details of the neuropathology and that's what we'll discuss a little bit further now also and see if there are indeed some differences or not. But uh, this is our main reason for discussing the concept of selective vulnerability in in the context of variant Alzheimer's disease, because if the pathology is the same, then the different symptoms might be explained by different individuals being uh, differentially susceptible uh, in certain neural uh, circuits for that same pathology. And that is really the, the why we think typical and atypical Alzheimer's disease is, is interesting in this, in this in this context. So selective vulnerability in the nervous system um, is, is what you're describing there. So um, could you just tell hmm. us sort of a bit a bit more about that? You know what it is exactly. Um, I mean, you mentioned that it's sort of subpopulations of the neurons, but I suppose why is that so important to study in neurodegeneration? This has been a concept used to explain why some people get certain symptoms of a similar brain insult. Uh, and the brain insult can be, can be uh, I mean, it, that could be a stroke and it could be a, a neurodegenerative disease process or something else. And the idea is that, that um, subpopulations of neurons in different brain systems may be more or less prone to, to dysfunction uh, or even death due to the same pathological injury or exposure. 
and this has been used to explain, for example, uh, speaking about neurodegenerative diseases, most are characterized by protein accumulations. In Alzheimer's disease, you have plaque formation and inclusions of tau. In frontotemporal dementia, you, you may have inclusions of TDP43. Um, they are often described with one collective term, like they are proteinopathies. These are abnormal protein accumulations. But then the symptoms are very distinct. And selective vulnerability tries to explain why some uh, symptoms appear in one disease and not in another. And um, the hypothesis is then that these different clinical phenotypes could be explained by neurons being more or less susceptible in different individuals. This could also be neuronal circuits. It, it doesn't have to be individual neurons. But, but um, And if there are such susceptibilities, it would be extremely important to find out why such selective vulnerabilities um, are present. And if one could find uh, genes or, or other mechanisms that explain selective vulnerability in the brain, one could perhaps also explore those from a diagnostic perspective or also to find different ways of intervening in those or helping to stimulate some resilience factors that might be encoded differently in different individuals to save those subgroups of neurons. So you just mentioned then about these sort of um, amyloid beta, uh, beta plaques and sort of intraneuronal tau tangles. Because uh, discussion, you know, when looking at, when thinking about Alzheimer's disease, often sort of revolves around those sort of extracellular um, or intracellular uh, accumulations of, of plaques and tangles. So it sounds like, I mean, are they good at distinguishing between the clinical variants? I couldn't... Yeah, so, so that is uh, really where uh, they are not good at all at mm. distinguishing between the clinic variants. So, so that that's really what makes um, variant Alzheimer's disease so interesting. So if you uh, perform an autopsy on a, on a patient that has had a variant form of Alzheimer's disease, this patient will, from an amyloid plaque perspective, be virtually indistinguishable from a, a, a classic Alzheimer's disease patient. So uh, plaque pathology will be more or less everywhere. It will be very abundant, but it will be associated with neuronal injury only in some brain regions. Um, tau pathology is a little bit different, and this is where neuropathologists have looked into detail. So tau pathology correlates a little bit better with the, 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 neuron, the, the neuronal loss that are suspected to, to cause the variant symptoms in, in uh, typical forms of, of Alzheimer's disease. So if you have, for example, the variant Alzheimer's disease from posterior cortical atrophy, you will see more tau pathology in, in, in the um, uh, occipital lobe than, than you would see in Alzheimer's disease, a little bit more, but it's not as clear as one would suspect. Uh, so here we have, uh, again, uh, this situation that similar pathologies uh, may seem to cause neuronal dysfunction differently in different individuals. Uh, so then, of course, it could be that different individuals have neuronal circuits that are more or less susceptible in different parts of the brain. So the traditional Alzheimer's disease patients have a susceptibility in the hippocampi, uh, whereas, whereas um, frontal Alzheimer's disease patients have a susceptibility in, in their frontal lobe circuits. That is one potential explanation for these differences. But, and, but we do not know if this is true 
or if it's in fact um, uh, explained by by that these pathologies are a bit different on a molecular level if you would look at them more carefully. But it could be that there are selective selectivity in the vulnerability of subpopulations in these brain regions. Another uh, potential explanation is that there are different resilience mechanisms going on so that uh, some individuals perhaps are a little bit better in protecting uh, some neural subpopulations from injury by microglial activation or something else. And a third explanation is that there is no selective vulnerability, that this is just an apparent selective vulnerability, but that the pathologies in fact are different in these different brain regions, but we cannot see that with the techniques we currently have. And there are pros and cons for these three concepts, selective vulnerability, selective resilience, and that these are just misinterpretations of different, that there are real differences in the pathologies. For example, if you look at a beta pathology, the traditional plaque pathology, uh, with the traditional stains that neuropathologists have been using, there are no big differences. But if you instead laser capture plaques from different brain regions and look at what exact forms of A beta that are in plaques, in, for example, the hippocampi or in the occipital lobe in Alzheimer's disease versus posterior cortical atrophy, then there might be differences uh, that uh, could explain why the toxicity and the neuronal impairment is more pro- more active in the occipital lobe of a patient with posterior cortical atrophy as compared to a traditional Alzheimer's disease patient. So this is where we discuss the current literature uh, in our JNNP paper uh, that we now discuss. And um, a take-home message is actually that we need to carefully investigate these three alternatives more. So there is no consensus message to take uh, out except from that this could that this is a really interesting. Uh, field uh, where where some data speak for uh, the selective vulnerability concepts and that this could be potentially be something to explore from a diagnostic or therapeutic standpoint. I mean, you mentioned in the um, in the paper, and you, and you just mentioned it then, of course, is that sort of three theories um, of potential selective vulnerability, um, and of course that there's much much more work to be done. Um, how would you propose? further exploring selective vulnerability mechanisms? I mean, you mentioned that it's, it's a really interesting field, which I quite agree. I mean, is there a way of um, potentially sort of studying these mechanisms in greater detail? Absolutely. And I definitely think we should do this as a, in a global effort uh, within the Alzheimer's research community. So, I mean, a uh, larger, largest proportion of patients have a classical form of Alzheimer's disease. The variant Alzheimer's disease forms are less common. But we need, so what we really suggest um, to the research community is that we should collaborate and actually collect these cases carefully and examine them carefully to get the numbers up. Uh, then we could actually do genetics of Alzheimer's disease, but subgroup patients according to the clinical variant. But then we need the numbers. Um, so the, a good thing now, uh, is, I, we think this is a unique opportunity to do these studies because now we have biomarkers for amyloid pathology, tau pathology, we can do CSF, tau, phosphotau, A-beta-2, we can do amyloid PET, and we can do tau PET. So we can look at these pathologies in patients with um, different clinical expressions, and then we could examine these patients that have different uh, 
phenotypes, but similar pathologies in regards to genetic susceptibility, uh, risk factors, uh, also um, potentially other comorbidities. Um, and then perhaps we could tease out if individuals who get classical Alzheimer's disease on the basis of Alzheimer's pathology or variant Alzheimer's disease on the basis of uh, Alzheimer's pathology, if they are different or not. So are you suggesting, if I've understood correctly, that obviously with the advances in um, technology such as PET scans and and things like that, yeah. and, and actually increasingly something that's been in the news recently about um, increasing technologies. Because of course, when when it when it comes to post mortem, it sounds like the the sort of pathological convergence of all the pathologies. So it's it's sort of hard to identify where it began. Have I understood that correctly? And then, mm-hmm. you know, of course, if you that, yeah. studied the onset of disease, um, and perhaps you know, a sort of as a, as a way of identifying selective vulnerability. That's exactly the case. So when you have pathology data, you study end-stage disease. And there may be many different downstream brain changes that have occurred that are not at all relevant to the clinical picture or onset of the disease in the patient. So now with the new biomarkers, we can look at the pathologies more or less accurately, depending a bit on what type of biomarker technique you are using. And the great advances during the last few years in amyloid PET imaging and also tau PET imaging lately. I mean, tau PET imaging is really the the, the major um, step forward uh, during the last few years. Then one can also get anatomic location of the pathologies and look at where they emerge reasonably well, how they how they uh, change uh, or how they sort of uh, propagate or change over the brain over the years when they meet when amyloid pathology and tau pathology meets that it it looks in many studies like like that is when neural impairment really uh, starts to 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 flourish and perhaps that is at least that's a testable hypothesis that where amyloid and tau pathology meets as determined by PET imaging that that is where the circuits will break down and cause the symptoms. But this is really a hypothesis. It has not been proven, but it would be extremely interesting to see if this will be the case and, and then different in, tradition, in classical Alzheimer's disease and in, for example, stereocortical atrophy or frontal variant Alzheimer's disease. So, so this is why I think it's a unique opportunity to do these studies. But again, the numbers, we need the numbers. These are not common forms and we need to collaborate and um, if one would like to do genetics also to compare these diseases we, re- we also really need the numbers absolutely yeah, definitely i mean it sounds like having having both i mean the um in life biomarkers and then also the sort of conversion of that data alongside the, the post-mortem tissue mm. um, is a way of, of moving forward with this yeah in, in regards to the biomarkers also anatomic location of the pathologies will be really important. And um, now I'm a clinical neurochemist working on fluids, but the fluids will be a bit, um, they will be useful to detect onset of pathology, but we need imaging to tell where, and of course, neurological examination and neuropsychology to determine where the pathologies appear and where they cause neuronal dysfunction. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, with that, you know, hopefully you can have insight um into novel treatment paradigms specific to the clinical variant. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, um, Professor Zetterberg. That was fantastic. Thank you very much.